0: Father, we just give thanks for the, the the privilege that we have to be called your sons, Lord. And uh, only eternity will will begin to express, Lord, the, the depth of that privilege and, and what it means, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that even right now as we begin, that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, that you would w- awaken each one of us to the understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ, and that you would... Um, just give us a sense of awe this morning, a sense of of uh, gratefulness, as we realize, Lord, what we what we've received this this precious gift of salvation and and the hope, and and that you've given us the Word of God, and that you've put us in a uh, a fellowship, Lord. You've linked us with with other brothers that that Lord we can grow together, and um, it's such an incredible privilege, Lord. And so we just thank you this morning for that and. And we pray that as we're gathered here, Lord, even right now, that you would send your spirit, send your presence, that you would illuminate your word, and, and that you would uh, ignite our hearts, that as we, um, as we hear the word, and then as we talk together, and as we pray, and, and just fellowship, that this time would be fruitful, Lord. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would instruct us. Um, and that you would just give, give to us this morning, Lord, something that we could take with us forever. That just feed us in a way, Lord, that it, it will be a very memorable thing, that, that the tools that you give us today, Lord, would just go with us for the rest of our time on earth and beyond. And so we just thank you, Lord. We pray for your blessing and, and your, uh, your grace upon, upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, you can open to John chapter 15. And and then we're gonna um, go to some other places, you know. <clears throat> whenever the topic of the Holy Spirit comes up, which is our topic for uh, November and possibly December, we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll remain flexible, but whenever that topic comes up. Uh, the, the first thing that typically will come into the mind of a person when you say Holy Spirit is TBN or Benny Hinn <laughs> or, you know, uh, people slain in the spirit, laying on the ground, you know, uh, behaving chaotically or, uh, you, you know, people speaking in tongues or healing, you know, all, all of these pictures and images and concepts flood our minds whenever that topic comes up maybe not ours so much but but in a generic sense there's certainly truth in that and and most people when when you talk about the holy spirit are they react in one of two ways either there's a there's a a, a strange curiosity that they have not not necessarily a good curiosity but more like when you see you know, uh, a train wreck. You know, and you know you you can't, you don't want to look, but you can't look away. Kind of, kind of a curiosity. Like they're like they I, I, they'll flip in the channels and they see maybe something on TV, and 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 inside they're going, oh gosh, what are they doing? But you can't look away. You're 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 stuck on it. You know, or the other reaction is just to turn around and run. Just go 180 degrees in the other direction and I don't want anything to do with this it's just weird uh it's it's not it just doesn't resonate it doesn't seem right you know and 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 so that's kind of the reaction that people have and and what they'll do their recourse in such a situation is that they'll just say well that's just not part of my Christianity I'm not going that direction I'm not going down that road you know there's a whole uh arm of the church of christ you know the real church of jesus christ that says well we just don't believe in the holy spirit you know we we believe he's the third person of the trinity and you know we're there in that respect but as far as his work in our lives or in the church or or any of that you know we just don't go there we don't talk about it we don't think about it we you know that's that's over there you know and they they kind of become the frozen chosen uh side of of the church you know we don't deal with that, you know. And, and and you know, usually whenever there's a dialogue or, you know, a teaching on or uh, any emphasis given to the work of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit, usually the direction that it automatically goes is towards the gifts, towards the You know the outward works and manifestations of the spirit. You know, and and those types of things, because that's that's just kind of like what is seen. It's what's the most on the surface, and so that's kind of where the teaching on the Holy Spirit gravitates naturally is towards uh, those types of things. But but really, you know, the what is the more important function or objective of the spirit? You know, why is it? that you know what is the deal with the spirit we we saw the scripture last week that Jesus said to his disciples just prior to the cross where he said it is expedient or absolutely necessary that I go away because if I don't go away the holy spirit's not going to come but if I go the spirit is going to come and 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 I mean you read those words you hear Jesus say that and you say it's expedient It's absolutely necessary that you go so that the Spirit can come. Well, if Jesus says that, then the coming of the Holy Spirit must be pretty important. But what is the function or the objective of the Spirit? Is it so that people can speak in tongues and act like morons and, you know, just do crazy things in Jesus' name and and really just put a bad taste in people? Is that what the Holy Spirit came to do? Or what is it? I mean from Jesus' point of view, when he says it is absolutely essential for you that you have the spirit, what is it that the spirit is going to do? Remember the old locomotives, the steam engines that they used prior to, you know, the, the, the modern days of Amtrak and MTA, you know, and, and, and they would have these big, huge steam turbine engines and they would you know have to keep this fire stoked and hot and it would boil water and produce steam pressure and you you know and then the steam pressure would drive the pistons and you'd hear the you know and and it would just be this incredible power generated by the steam and the purpose of the steam was to move the train down the track that's why that steam was there but if you were to ask most people what is the purpose of the steam, they would say, "It's to toot the horn, you know, pull the pull the wire, you know, and, and and because that was the most outward, the most visible thing that was seen is the is the 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 pulling of the the horn." Now the same steam that drove the turbines also sounded the alarm, you know. And, and, and as far as the Holy Spirit goes, that's the way most people view it. Well, the purpose of the Spirit is the outward things that you see, the gifts, you know, the healings, the this, that, no, 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 no. That's part of it. But that's not the purpose of it. It's not about tooting the horn. It's about moving the train, you know. So what is the purpose of uh, the Spirit and why is it expedient that we experience it? In John chapter 15, In the middle of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit, it almost seems as though he digresses a little bit, because chapter 14 is all about the coming of the Comforter, and chapter 16 is all about the coming of the Comforter, but chapter 15 is a little bit different. It's the same topic, but it has a completely different flavor. Notice what Jesus says here uh, in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman, or the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, No more can you except you abide in me. So Jesus gives to them a very simple parable. We all understand this concept of a vine and branches, you know, and how uh, a, a vine is what holds the root and bears the branch. And then the branch that is attached to the vine is what then bears the fruit that is useful or really the objective. Why do you plant a vine or a crop you don't do it to have a plant. You do it to, to, to yield a crop, to have fruit, you know. And, and so Jesus gives this parable of a vine that bears a branch that then bears fruit. And then he gives the application of that. In verse, four, uh, verse 5, he says this. He says, I am the vine, the source, and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And herein is my Father glorified, that you... So this isn't the vine anymore, this is the branch. He says that you bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. And so he interprets this little parable, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branch. And the branch is what brings forth the fruit, but the branch cannot bring forth fruit unless it stays attached to the vine, that is the place where it receives its source, its nourishment. And then uh, and then he, he says that without the vine, the branch is good for nothing. He says, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. In other words, you cannot bring forth anything that is eternally good apart from your attachment to your abiding in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely essential because anything that's good or fruitful comes from him. Now, why is this teaching that Jesus gives this parable and explanation given in the middle of his teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because it's through the person of the Holy Spirit that we stay attached to the vine. It's through the presence of his invisible spirit that we abide in him. And so he's giving to us really the the main purpose for why the Holy Spirit is given. Because there's an objective There's a goal. There's something that's to be brought forth in our life, and it cannot be brought forth in our life apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us that was given to us as Jesus poured it out on the day of Pentecost. So what is this fruit? What is the objective? Now, immediately, if you're well-versed in the Bible, you're thinking to yourself, oh, we're going to turn to Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Yes, though that is the fruit of the Spirit in a very generic sense and contextually in Paul's writing to the Galatian, he writes that in contrast, of course, to what you know comes forth of our flesh, which is pure wickedness, you know, and all. But 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 if we look at it, you know, taking a few steps back, and we consider Jesus said, Without me you can do nothing. Then what part does the Holy Spirit play in our Christian life and experience? Why is it expedient? What are some of the things that are the fruit of the Spirit that maybe, you know, that list doesn't address, you know, that list of characteristics? So, A, a few things for you to consider, scriptures that we can look at and ponder. Uh, the first thing that the Spirit does in the life of a person that a person cannot do apart from the, the Holy Spirit in their life is that the Holy Spirit brings a person into a relationship with God. It's the Holy Spirit that brings a person into a relationship with God. In the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that God created man in his image, that we were made a trichotomy. As God is Father, Son, and Spirit, so also we are made with three parts. We are body, that is flesh, physical, We are soul, which is the seat of our emotions and reason, our mind and and feelings, and we are spirit. And the spirit of man is the part of man that relates to God. And, And when Adam was created in the image of God and the breath of life was breathed into him, he was three parts. And the way that that worked before he sinned is that he had fellowship with God unbroken in the spirit. He had constant communion with God, and he was in fellowship with him. He walked with him in the cool of the day, and there was a relationship between God and man that was unbroken. Now, the branch in that context was attached to the vine. And so life was continually being infused into man from God through that unbroken spiritual fellowship that they had. The result of that is that the soul of man was constantly satisfied. It was constantly saturated and satiated by the presence and the love of God. And the purpose for man's existence was being continually fulfilled as he lived in fellowship with his creator. And the result of that is that his flesh was content. It it, it just was. It it, it was almost as though he wasn't aware of it. It was just there. The Bible tells us that he was naked, but that he didn't even know it. It just was. It just was. But then something happened. Man sinned. And God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of this fruit, know that you shall surely die. Well, he didn't physically die that day, but he did die that day spiritually. And the fellowship that Adam had with God was broken when sin entered into man and that spiritual connection, the infusing of life, the attachment of the branch to the vine was severed and immediately man felt the effect of it. The source of life was cut off from man's soul. His soul became discontented, unsatisfied, nervous anxious he began to cover himself and hide he became conscious of things that before he had no consciousness no awareness of his soul became disheveled unsettled and the result of that is that his flesh began to rage Uh, every part of his flesh began to feel the hunger and the thirst of being cut off in the same way that when you pull a plant out of the ground and rip it out by the roots you immediately well almost immediately see the effect in the leaf in the most outward part it begins to wither it begins to dry there's an immediate thirst because that constant flow of nourishment isn't there any longer and so man dies spiritual spiritually and immediately he becomes inverted he goes from spirit, soul, and body, connected to God, satisfied in his soul, his flesh almost non-existent, to all of a sudden now he's body, soul, and spirit. The flesh is brought to the surface. He realizes he has a need. There's a problem. And man begins collectively, and we do this too, to try to satisfy the longing of the soul through the desires of the flesh. No longer the way that God designed it, but it's an introverted thing. And so the discontentment of man, the iniquity and sinfulness of man, the vacuum of covetousness begins and man becomes fallen, corrupted, and he begins to die. He's dead spiritually, detached from God. But when a man is born again, and the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost regenerates and redeems that man, that connection to God spiritually is rebirthed it's the new birth the regeneration and man through the work of the cross by the grace and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ man is brought back into fellowship with God and he can again have fellowship with him and the result of that is that the spirit of God can bring life to the man and his soul can become satisfied And then as his soul becomes satisfied, he realizes what his flesh is and man's life that has been turned upside down by the fall is now made right side up and he's made spiritually alive again. But it can't happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit of God coming into the Spirit of man that that relationship with God can begin and a man comes back from death to life. As John wrote, he said, he that believes has passed from death to life. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life, not next to the life or alongside of the life, but inside the life in the deepest part that brings a man back into fellowship with God. And so without the Spirit, man cannot know God. And so the Holy Spirit is essential in man's redemption. Well, then what happens? Because Jesus said, and it's in John 14 and 16, the chapters that we looked at last week. Jesus said this, that when the Spirit has come, he is going to take what's mine and give it to you. So once the Spirit moves in and that connection is reattached, well then what is the fruit of the Spirit? What does he do then? And here is the second thing, number two, is that he gives us understanding of the word. It is only the Holy Spirit that can give a man understanding of the Word. Turn to John chapter 6, just a few pages back from where you are there in John 15. The Bible says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven and on earth. The Father, the Spirit, and the Word, synonymous with the Son. And he says that these three are one. The Word of God is the revelation of God. If you want to know God, you need His Word, because it's through the Word of God that we understand the heart of God, but you cannot understand the Word of God unless you have the Spirit of God. Watch this, John chapter 6, look at verse 53. One of the hardest things that Jesus said, the toughest sayings. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, imagine that you were there that day and you heard Jesus say those words. (laughs) in a Jewish kosher society where blood was strictly forbidden, (laughs) in a society where a religious person would strain their neck if they accidentally swallowed a flea because of the implications of eating blood. (laughs) And now Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, he's just driving it deeper and deeper. Usually a preacher says something controversial, and then they say, wait a minute, before you flip out, let me explain. Jesus doesn't do that. He just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. He's like, no, no, you are gonna, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, referencing Moses' day when the bread fell from heaven, and are dead, he that eats of this bread, speaking of himself, shall live forever. And these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, no application, no explanation, no precursor, no fine print. He leaves it at that. That's the teaching. Now watch the response, verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? And now Jesus gives the most application of this that he's going to give. He's not going to explain it anymore, but he says this in verse 63. And here's our verse. He said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth or makes alive, or gives understanding. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. And what Jesus was saying to them, Basically, at this point, in their development and in his ministry, he was saying, I could explain this, but you're not going to get it. (laughs) Because the words that I say unto you are spirit, and the words are life. And you just, you don't have what you need at this point to even understand what this saying means. Because you cannot understand the word of God unless you have the spirit of God living in you. It doesn't make sense. I remember experiencing that as a non-believer. When Georgia, who is now my wife, got saved, I went on a a very specific venture to disprove the Bible, to show her that she was (coughs) foolish, giving her whole life to a book. And I went to the Bible and I opened up to Genesis one and I just began to read. And I didn't get to chapter 6 before I threw it at the wall and said, this is stupid. That someone would give their life to something that you can't even understand. A, a guy throws his, his stick in the sea and the sea opens up. You know, a man sows seed on the ground. And, you know, and this is what someone's going to give their life to. Absolute darkness couldn't understand what i read the fact that somebody would give their life and trade it 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 can't happen foolishness turn to first corinthians chapter two paul explains in expanded language, what Jesus was trying to say, well, what Jesus said in verse 63, and and what I experienced trying to disprove the Bible. Paul explains it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I wasn't eloquent, and I wasn't giving you You know, words of wisdom. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. "...that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery." It's mysterious. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. "...even the hidden wisdom..." which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he he, he makes a contrast in these verses between the wisdom and ways of the world and the wisdom and the mysteries of God, the the uncomprehensible mysteries of God and his kingdom. Now notice he goes on to explain now having made this contrast he says in verse 9 but as it is written I hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him but verse 10 now here it is pay attention look at the verse it says this but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Pause for a second. In other words, what man can really know another man like that man knows himself? In other words, you're the only one that really knows you, even your wife. She knows, you know, like I I, I know my wife to a certain degree. Like if I ask her a question and and, and there's even like a split second of pause, like I know that, you know, like, hey, could I have another piece of chicken? If there's a split second of pause, I know the answer is no. I can't have another chicken and she's registering the right way to say it, you know, (laughs) or something, you know, and, and we get to know each other, you know, like that. But I don't know my wife like she knows herself. Because no man knows the the things of a man except for the spirit of the man that's in him. We understand that. Now Paul applies it to God. The middle of verse 11. He says, Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. In other words, the only one that can truly know God is God. No one can know the things of God except for the Spirit of God. He knows himself. But now watch this, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. What did Jesus say? He said, When the Spirit is come, he will take what is mine and he will give it or show it unto you. That's exactly what Paul is saying here, is that we have received the Spirit so that the things of God can be given unto us. Paul goes on, verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then verse 14, but the natural man, That is, the person that doesn't have the Spirit of God, the person that is just flesh, they they are not regenerated, they're not born again, they don't have the Holy Spirit. It says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) To me, throwing a Bible at the wall and saying, this is ridiculous. This is foolish that someone would give their life to something like this. And that's exactly what was going on in my life. I didn't have the spirit of God. I didn't know God. Therefore, I couldn't understand the things of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They didn't understand the spiritual implications, the biblical explanation or understanding of that and he knew they wouldn't get it so he just said my words are spirit and they are life and you don't get it you know the spirit hadn't been given yet verse 15 but he that is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is judged of no man for who hath known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of christ and so once the Spirit of God moves into a person's life, he gives them the ability to understand the Word of God. Now, the second I got saved, and, and I didn't raise my hand in a church or come forward at a crusade. I accepted the Lord in my car going to jump off a cliff. You know, that's where, where I was when I got saved. And I said, God, if you're real, I'll do whatever I have to do. If you tell me I have to shave my head and wear a barbed wire jacket and go into a mountain and never see another soul and be a monk, I'll do it if you're real. But I need to know if you're real. That was my sinner's prayer. God heard that. And here's how I know he heard that. Because when I got to the first place I went, I had had thrown my good news Catholic Bible in the car. You know, I'd got, had gotten it as a little boy at some point in my Catholic upbringing and I'd thrown it in the car before I left because, you know, you, you should have that with you, you know, if you're going to do what I was going to do or something, you know. And, and, and so I took it and, and I sat down by a stream in the middle of the woods and I went like this. I went and I just opened it up. Not Genesis 1, 1, not Matthew chapter 1. I just, just opened it and, and it just happened to fall open to Romans chapter 1. That's where it opened. And so I thought, I'm just going to read. And and something happened that day when I came to God, not as a critic or a skeptic or curiously or as an unregenerate man, but a man that was in my heart saying, God, whatever it is that you are and that you require, I'll do it. And I read from Romans chapter one, verse one, and I read through the whole book of Romans that day, and it made perfect sense to me. I understood exact, I mean, obviously I didn't understand it like i do now you know and and now i don't like i will later you know but i understood it as much as i could at that time the lights were on and 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 i kept reading it and saying to myself why didn't anyone ever tell me this why didn't anyone ever tell me this was here and why did they teach me that when this says this you know and, and it just made sense and something happened that day." that was supernatural but yet so natural is that I understood the word of God. Couldn't do that before. And apart from the Holy Spirit in the life of a person, you cannot understand the word of God. And if you don't understand the word of God, you cannot know God. And if you don't know God, you're not saved. You see, Jesus said, it is expedient that I go away. Because otherwise, the Comforter, the Spirit, will not come. We need the Holy Spirit. He opens the Word of God to us, which helps us know God. See? So it brings us into fellowship with God. It also teaches us the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. The third thing that the Spirit does is that the fruit is that He gives us a supernatural satisfaction. Turn to back in John. chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, in the last day, the great day of the feast. Now, it's speaking of the feast of tabernacles that was taking place in Jerusalem. And Jesus had not initially gone. He, he didn't show up at the beginning of the feast. He came for the end of it. And it tells us here that it was the last day, the great day of the feast. And it says that this, it says, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me As the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember Jesus said, it's expedient that I go. Because if I don't go, the Comforter won't come? Well, it's saying the same thing here, basically, is that the Spirit had not yet been given at this point in Jesus' ministry, but yet Jesus is telling us, he says, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly, out of his innermost being, literally, will gush forth torrents of living water. Remember our analogy, about body, soul, and spirit, and the vine and the branch, and how when the branch is attached to the vine, it's receiving a constant flow of nourishment that keeps satisfaction and health in in that branch, you know? It's the same idea here. Jesus is saying, I am the one that will be a continual flow, and he speaks of it in the context of thirst. He says, if any man thirst. We look around the planet today, do men thirst? (laughs) you look at the things that people give themselves to, the addictions they get trapped in, the lifestyles that they live. And all of those things are the result of man's thirst. Is that there's something inside of him, there's a hole that is longing to be filled, that's screaming for satisfaction. And men will fill it with anything they can to try to quench that thirst that's in them, deep within them. And Jesus says, if you come to me out of your innermost being, the place of the Spirit where it's in fellowship with God will gush forth a torrent of living water that will continually satisfy. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you come to me, I will give you water and you will never thirst again. And she said, Lord, evermore, give me this water, you know. And see, the water that comes from being in fellowship with God and experiencing His Holy Spirit, it's a satisfying water. Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, said this. He said, when goods increase, they are, or I'm sorry, it's verse 10, it starts in. He says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When a person looks to their flesh as a source of satisfaction, all it can do is create a vacuum and a need for more. Because nothing that we can ever try to satisfy ourselves with outwardly can ever truly satisfy us. It can work for a season, very short, but it doesn't last. And we've all experienced that. Like when you get something new or when you go on a vacation, something happens that's very satisfying. You look forward to it for a long time. But then that goes away, just like a meal. You eat a meal and you're satisfied. But how long does it take before you start to say, well, where's dessert? You know, Because it just doesn't last. And if a man tries through the, through the satisfying of his flesh to fulfill his soul, it just creates a vacuum. You need more and more and more what happens when a man turns to the Spirit of God, which is the true source, what God designed man to be satisfied by? Psalm chapter 37, verse 7. Let me read it to you. It's actually 36, verse 7. Psalm 36, verse 7. He says this. He says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house and you shall make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. And such truth, if you've ever experienced the fountain of living water that comes from God. I'm not saying that a person that accepts Christ never has an appetite or never feels dissatisfied. The question is, Where do we turn when we're not satisfied? Do we seek to fulfill our needs with the things of the world, the pleasures of the flesh? Or do we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to be filled again. I need to experience your Holy Spirit. And and there is nothing more satisfying than when when that time comes to go sit alone with the Lord and just let him fellowship with you. Just sitting with the Lord. You know, sometimes in, in just absolute silence. And maybe he'll give you something that you start to pray. Or maybe he'll put a, a verse in your heart and you start to read. But you just begin to fellowship with the Lord. And, and he just calms you. Calms you. He just It's like David said, that he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And, and what Jesus said is absolutely true. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink and out of his belly will gush torrents. That out of his belly means in the deepest part, the part, the spirit of man that's in fellowship with God, their satisfaction. And so the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural satisfaction. Now, I want to leave time for us to, 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 to fellowship and, and talk and pray, but you can write this down and you can read it on your own. as Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, The next thing that we were going to look at is that the the fruit of the Holy Spirit within our life is that He gives us the ability to have victory over sin and to obey the will of God. He gives us victory over sin. If we, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we will live. He gives us power over sin and He gives us the ability to obey. His commands, His will. And it goes right back to the beginning what Jesus said in John 15, and that is this Without me, you can do nothing. You cannot do those things on your own. You cannot bring yourself back into a relationship with God. You cannot understand or apply the Word of God to your life. You cannot be satisfied in the way that God designed you to be satisfied apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot have victory over sin, and you cannot obey the will of God. I mean, he washed his disciples' feet. God washed the feet of 12 corrupted men. And then he said, do you see what I've done to you? If I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, you go and do likewise. Go and find the people in your life that are closest to you and in their stinkiest, most rotten, most you know unreasonable attitude and mindset. Go and love them unconditionally. You can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot. And so it is expedient, Jesus said, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is vital. We need God's Holy Spirit in our lives if we're going to be Christians. In the least, we need God's Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. Now, that's only half. This, all of these things that we look at are things that God does in our life. There's a whole other half of what God wants to do now through our lives. And that's what we'll look at next time as we begin looking what else does the Spirit, is it just for me? is the holy spirit given just for me and my benefit or is there something else that god has for my life that's got nothing to do with me and the answer is yes there is so we'll we'll talk about that next week so if anybody wants to uh, share something or contribute a thought or a comment or you know feel free <clears throat> Well, he wasn't. He wasn't given in the context that, like Jesus said, you know what I mean? Like, the, like it says that the spirit came upon Samson. You know, the spirit came upon David, or the spirit came upon Saul. That even, but, but like Jesus said, he said the the prophets and the kings they have desired to have the things that you have and have not had them. You know. So what we have is is a different dynamic because we have the spirit of God you know, living inside of us. They they experienced it in part, but not in the way that we do. Do, do. do you understand what I mean? They they did. They had like that saving seed, but they didn't have the spirit in, in the way that we do. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, I'm just basing it on what, what the Bible says. They had to have light. You know what I mean? How did David write Psalms? You know, how did, you know, but it says that in Peter, it says that holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, you know? And, and Peter writes in his epistle, and he says some of them didn't even know what they were writing about. They were writing under the inspiration of God, but they didn't understand the things that they were writing. You know, um, you were here when Don Stewart was here. You know, remember he said that even Daniel said, "I don't understand this." You, you know, so that was that was part of part of it. You know, does that does that make sense? Well, when we talk next week, we're going to talk about the, the three different... There's three different relationships that, that the Holy Spirit has with men. One is that he's with them. The second is that he's in them. And the third is that he's upon them. There's the, in the Greek, there's three different prefaces, prefixes. You know, there's para, which is with, en which is in, and then epi, which is upon. And, and in the Old Testament, they experienced the epi. Like when Samson pulled the gates and says the Spirit of God came upon him that that was the epi, but I don't know how, to what degree they experienced the, the, the N, the E-N or the N, you know. Um, and, and it's kind of a mystery. I don't want to say, like, I know the answer to that. All I know is that Jesus said, it, it, I need to go away for the Spirit to come, and that the Spirit had not yet been given because he was not yet glorified, and that it says also that, um, that, that, uh, that they, they longed to understand these things, but that they didn't. You know, so I'm going off of that, but how it worked, I, I don't really know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and, and he said it. He said, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things, you know. He, his, he was trying to draw out that Nicodemus wasn't there yet, you know. Well, they were, they were special in that they were called, okay? But, but they weren't different. You know, James says it. It's in James chapter 5. And he, he says that uh, he, he uses actually Elijah, which was, you know, he's known as the prophet of the spirit and power and all calling down fire from heaven. And he says this. He says that these men were men of like passions just like we are. You know, so he says that there was no difference between them and us. You know, they had faith right and they had the call of god but but anybody could have had that they weren't special in that way but they were called of god and he used them in special ways you, you know what i mean Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Wayne? Yes.